Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm Jason Timph. I appreciate you guys coming to hang out. We are almost to the start of the 2022 NBA Finals, the matchup that I wanted this whole time, the teams that I'm most excited to see faced off, Boston and Golden State. Today in this video, we are going to break down every single element of this series. We're going to talk about their regular season matchups 
as much as you can take away from them since the NBA regular season continues to provide almost no information about what the end of the book is going to be like. We're going to look at both sides of the basketball, what it looks like with Golden State on offense and what it looks like with Boston on offense. And then we're going to look at some series-wide dynamics, some experience factors, and some other elements of the game that I think are going to play a factor in this series. So let's start with the regular season. Now, as is typically the case for teams that uh, are playing across conference lines, they only play twice. Uh, Golden State won the early matchup back in 2021, and then Boston won a game in March where Steph got hurt in the second quarter. Um, they played, there were 41 minutes with both Tatum and Steph on the floor together at the same time. In those minutes, Golden State averaged 94 points per 100 possessions, and Boston averaged 109.3 points per 100 possessions. So the regular season stuff doesn't look good for Golden State, but at the same time, it didn't look good for Golden State in the Dallas matchup either, and that ended up meaning absolutely nothing. So I'm not sure what you could take from that. Regular season series was 1-1. I would say for the most part, it doesn't really apply. I tried to watch the tape as much as possible just to look at physical matchups and look at like specific plays. What did it look like when Steph tried to guard Tatum? What did it look like when Marcus Smart tried to guard Steph? You know, like those kinds of things to try to pick up on those little details. Uh, both teams ran drop coverage for the most part in both games with their big men. So with Kevin Looney or with Rob Williams or with Al Horford. That, you know, again, in the NBA regular season, teams love to run drop because it protects the paint. And if you're going to eat innings in the regular season just to try to get through the 82 games, might as well take away the paint and make teams beat you with the jump shot. So it's pretty typical to see that sort of thing. It's hard to say how much they'll play drop in this playoff series, in this NBA final series. But then again, like Boston ran drop almost exclusively against Miami for whatever reason. So it, it could be a matchup thing, but we're going to get into that here in just a minute. A couple of outlier performances. Uh, Andrew Wiggins had a 27-point game in the Tatum matchup. Kevon Looney had seven offensive rebounds in the two games. Offensive rebounding is going to be a really interesting swing factor in the series. Golden State has been a great rebounding team in this playoff run. Boston, not so much. They ranked third out of the four conference finalist teams in defensive rebound percentage. They struggled to secure defensive rebounds against both Milwaukee and Miami. That's something I think Golden State will try to exploit. And then Jordan Poole, he had a 29-point game in the Steph in the game that Steph uh, got hurt. Obviously, Boston blew them out in that game, but Poole demonstrated that he can score against this Boston defense. So that's something that should be encouraging for Golden State fans. Let's start with Golden State on offense. So the number one swing factor, I think, in this matchup is going to be what coverage Boston goes with. You guys know I'm a big believer in switching. As is always the case, when you pick a different coverage, there's a give and a take. So obviously, if you're a proponent of drop, you're going to dislike things about switching, like giving up size mismatches on rebounding opportunities, giving up size mismatches for post-ups or on the perimeter, or a quickness mismatch with a big man guarding a small guard. You're concerned about mismatches in switching situations. That's typical. To me, I just think the pros of switching, the way that it can bait teams into isolation basketball, disrupt their action make it so that when they run their sets, they don't get open shots. I tend to think that those vastly outweigh the cons in switching, but people have different opinions there. Against Miami, I thought for sure Boston would switch because switching tests your dribble creation, your ability to beat mismatches off the dribble. And Miami only had one guy on the roster who was a good mismatch attacker in Jimmy Butler. So I thought if they did a lot of switching, they'd be able to basically play in 
into Miami's weaknesses and have the most success. I also thought, you know, with guys like Max Struess and Gabe Vincent and Kyle Lowry and Tyler Harrow that all love to come flying off of screens with lots of space to elevate and pull up a jump shot. Why would you run drop? It allows them to get those looks that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get. And in spite of all of that, Ime Udoka ran drop the entire series. It was obviously part of the game plan. He was banking that Miami wouldn't shoot well. And to his defense, they didn't shoot well. But I also thought it was uh, Boston's worst defensive series in terms of the numbers that they gave up with in the context of the level of talent they were playing. So that's going to be an interesting element. Will they continue to run drop against this Golden State team? And again, and I shared clips on my Twitter feed, you guys can see it there, in both regular season matchups this year against Golden State, Boston ran drop. And so that'll be a really interesting thing to see because I would think that baiting Steph and Jordan Poole into isolation situations, which, yeah, they're going to take your bigs and they're going to beat them off the dribble. But in terms of the physical wear and tear it takes to try to convince those guys to repeatedly put their head down and go to the rim, I like that as a, as a game plan option better than the idea of dropping. But I'm really curious to see what they do. If they play drop, I expect guys like Steph and Jordan Poole to burn them and Clay Thompson to burn them. So I'm really, really curious to see uh, uh, which defensive strategy Boston goes with. We will know a lot more after game one in that department. In game one in, sp- in particular, I think we're going to see a really interesting dynamic because there's there's two elements, uh, an element that either team is going to have to face that's going to be very, very different than what they've faced in previous series is with Golden State on offense. So I've talked about this with before uh, with you guys, adjusting to length and athleticism. I thought this was a huge thing that hurt Dallas early in the season or, or early in the series against Phoenix, the reason why they fell down 2-0, in my opinion. When you go from playing against a certain level of defensive personnel to an entirely different level of defensive personnel, a ton more length, a ton more athleticism, there's usually an adjustment period as you get used to the different habits that you have to have to succeed against that kind of length and athleticism. I've told this story on the show before, but like I played at the college level, I was a good basketball player, but I play against amateurs now. But Almost every summer, a bunch of pros and college players come back into town, and that's when I get with those guys and I work out with them and I play with them. Almost every time, there's an adjustment for me, just getting used to the increased length and athleticism. It's just, you know, that post-entry pass that you made, maybe you need to make a pass fake first this time. What you perceive to be an opening in a passing lane might not be an opening against a better athlete. There's an adjustment period there. So, Golden State is going to have to adjust to the massively better defensive personnel that Boston has compared to Dallas. The flip side of that is Golden State's movement. Boston has played pretty traditional offensive machines to this point. Brooklyn and, and Miami and, uh, and Milwaukee all ran a lot of high pick and roll. It's a lot of isolation. It's a lot of the same stuff that they've seen at every single level against the other 28 teams in the league. Against Golden State, their offense doesn't resemble anything that anybody else does. This is a huge part of why Golden State is always so good at the beginning of series. There's an adjustment period to adjust to the way they run their offense. It just doesn't look like anything else that you see, and you can get caught off guard. The types of switches and coverages that you run against a traditional offense don't look the same as they do against Golden State. So in Game 1, it's going to be an interesting battle. Who's going to adjust quicker? Will Golden State adjust to Boston's length and athleticism on defense quicker? Or will Boston adjust to Golden State's motion and movement and off-ball threat 
quicker. That's going to be the swing factor in game one. Against drop coverage, if Boston goes with drop, a huge part's going to be how much contact is Golden State allowed to get away with on these screens? Because Golden State does set a lot of moving screens, just like everybody else in the league. So it's not a slander in that regard, but they do set a lot of moving screens. If they are allowed to, Boston players will get caught on screens. Guys will get open looks. If that's held a little bit more you know, by the book, by the refs, that gives Boston a huge advantage chasing guys over the top of screen. So that'll be an interesting dynamic there. Against the switch, as is always the case, you guys, uh, Golden State's going to get a certain amount of open dunks and layups against Boston switching defense just because of how confusing it could be to track everybody. Just because of how confusing it can be when there's three players in an action or when you get Steph Clay and Jordan Poole in an action and everybody panics and accidentally chases the wrong guy. They're going to get a certain amount of stuff out of that. However, there will be a considerable amount of possessions where when Boston switches, it baits Boston or Golden State into a situation where Steph or Jordan Poole has the ball against a matchup that they like and they have to do something. And for both teams, because we're going to talk about this with Boston in a second, it's just vitally important that you get dribble penetration and you engage help defenders so that you can get the defense in rotation and not fall into the trap of pull-up dribble, off-the-dribble isolation jump shots, which stagnate you and get your teammates out of rhythm. That's going to be, uh, for both teams, when they're in those switching environments, both teams have to get persistent rim pressure. All right, let's move forward to Boston on offense. So once again, Golden State ran drop in the regular season in this matchup with Kevon Looney. I'm really curious to see what they do because Miami ran a lot of drop in the regular season with Bam Adebayo, but then they did a lot more switching against Boston. I think switching is the genius defense to run against Boston because it tests their decision-making, because it puts the onus on Tatum and Brown and Smart to not play the game they want to play, which is to get into their bag and mix people up, but rather get them to really focus on having to get dribble penetration. And more often than not, they don't do that. They get stagnant and they have issues. So I think it's going to be really important for Golden State to take a note from Miami's book. A lot of switching, a lot of zone, just like they did against Dallas, to mix things up, make things complicated. They ran a lot of zone in their second matchup against Boston this year, again, because Draymond Green was out, but I expect to see a lot of zone as well. But that uh, switching instead of dropping as much as possible, and then the classic Steve Kerr mixing up coverages, I think is going to go a long way. Now, against switching, what did Boston do against Miami? They relentlessly attacked Max Struess. They relentlessly attacked Tyler Harrow when he was healthy and Gabe Vincent. They will do the same thing against Jordan Poole and Steph. Now, here's the thing. I said the same thing about the Dallas Mavericks, but Dallas was unable to consistently attack Steph and Jordan Poole because Steve Kerr had an easy fix, hedge and recover. He would just have Steph or Jordan or whoever it was, when their man would come set a screen, they would hedge, which would force Luka to retreat back to half court to get around the hedge, which would give Andrew Wiggins time to recover below the screen and get back to Luka. Here's the thing. Luka's very methodical with that sort of thing. Boston's slashers are an entirely different type of rim pressure. You're going to see a lot of Tatum and Brown attacking quickly against those hedges, and it works. 
I saw Jimmy Butler in Miami do this to Boston a lot. They would try to hedge with Derek White on these kinds of actions, and Jimmy would try to beat the hedge by attacking quickly, and he got a lot of straight line drives and great rim, uh, rim pressure from that sort of thing. So for Boston, when they get into those switching situations, they're going to have to persistently attack Steph and persistently attack Jordan Poole and get into the rim. The advantage of having multiple players that can drive, unlike Dallas, is going to be their one of their angles that they can go to. With Dallas, you had to get them switched onto Luka or get them switched onto Jalen Brunson in order to attack him. Golden State wasn't allowing the switch. Boston, they have the luxury of like, hey, we'll just throw it over to Marcus Smart. Because... Steph or Jordan's going to have to guard one of those guys because the bigger wings are going to be guarding Tatum and Brown. And so they might, or another guy's like, like Derek White. If you can just swing the ball to Derek White and he's already on Steph, if those guys can get consistent dribble penetration against them, that will be a huge help. But once again, for Boston, just like with Golden State against the switches, have to get dribble penetration and engage help defenders and not fall into isolation basketball. So those are the dynamics on either side of the ball. A couple of series-wide dynamics really quick. Um, we just talked about this a minute ago, but in game one. In game one, I'm really curious to see if Boston, in a good defensive groove coming out of that Miami series, throws Golden State off with their length and athleticism. Once again, Golden State, only a 94 offensive rating with Steph on the floor this year with Tatum on the floor. I mentioned this earlier. They killed Denver on offense. They killed... The Grizzlies with jaw on offense, and they killed the Dallas Mavericks on offense. But against Memphis without jaw, they only averaged about 104 points per 100 possessions. So they have shown a tendency to get stagnant and to have some offensive issues against great defense. In game one, I'm really curious to see if Boston can leverage that because that's their best chance to win the series. I'm picking Golden State, I'm picking them in seven games. I think this is going to be a long series, but I think Golden State is the more trustworthy team, which makes them the better basketball team because execution and attention to detail is all part of what makes a good basketball team, and Golden State is simply better in those areas. Game one will be Boston's best chance. If they can steal game one because Golden State struggles to adapt to the defense that they bring, that will be their best chance then to then try to close the series out in six. But once again, that dynamic goes both ways. Golden State is a very different type of offensive approach. It's very different than anything Boston has seen so far in this playoff run. If they catch Boston off guard and they end up going up 2-0 in this series, I don't think that's something Boston can recover from. So game one is going to be an interesting thing. Two other quick notes. Crunch time. Once again, a huge part of what makes a good basketball team, the ability to close games. Boston has played 28 clutch minutes this year in the playoffs. Remember, playoffs, it's within five minutes of the end of the game, within five points, okay? Boston's played 28 clutch minutes. Golden State's played 30 clutch minutes. Golden State, plus 12 net rating in clutch time. Boston, minus one and a half. Boston has not been a good execution team down the stretch of games. Golden State has been a great execution team down the stretch of games. In a very close series that's likely to have some close games, that's a big advantage towards Golden State. And last but not least, I think Steph's the best player. Tatum's been very good. It's been a meteoric rise for him this year. 
I said this on the show the other day, and I sincerely mean it. I think Giannis is on a tier by himself atop the league, but I think Steph has the best case for number two. He had a really bad regular season. His percentages were way down from when he was in his prime. There was definitely something weird going on there. But in this playoff run, Steph has been the best player in this field remaining, obviously not counting Giannis. So I think that's another big advantage towards Steph or towards Golden State. Boston might actually be the more talented team in terms of two-way players, but I think Golden State's a better basketball team and their attention to detail, and it shows up in things like what they do in in, crutched, in, uh, in crunch time and just their overall consistent effort and focus, then Steph is the best player. So in this very close series, I'm leaning Golden State in seven to get their fourth championship of this era on their home floor at Chase Center. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. I've been having so much fun betting on the NBA playoffs with FanDuel with same-game parlays, with live lines. I've even really enjoyed this cash-out feature, especially with all these blowouts. If you make a bet and you're in really good shape with the bet and you don't want to lose your winnings over garbage time, you can sometimes cash out and get some of your winnings out easily and not have to take that risk. It's easy to use, it's safe and secure, and you get your winnings fast. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. All right, I wanted to take a couple of minutes today to talk about this latest drama between Kevin Durant and Warriors Nation, which began when my boss, Colin Coward, had Draymond Green on for an interview for almost an hour yesterday, which was incredibly interesting. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do. It's on the Volumes YouTube channel. They get into a ton of of good stuff, including some prep for this year's NBA Finals. Um, But what ended up stealing the show was Draymond Green in a discussion centering around Steph Curry and Finals MVPs. Draymond is in kind of like a throwaway line that wasn't even really related to the point he was trying to make, said that Steph faced, quote-unquote, seven times the amount of double teams that uh, KD uh, faced. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to play the clip. So here's the clip of Draymond Green on the Colin Coward podcast yesterday. Steph could have definitely had finals MVPs because Steph has the ball. Like, Steph, now, Steph is coming down the court, and he's calling sets. And he's like, oh, we got a mismatch with Kevin Durant. We're going to get Kevin Durant the ball every single time. He can hijack the game, and no one's going to say a word. If Steph Curry comes down and he calls for a pick and roll every play, nobody's going to say a word, including Kevin Durant, by the way. Nobody's going to say anything. That's not who he is. That's not what he does. And so when when you watch a game and, and Kevin Durant was absolutely incredible in those finals runs. As you know, you watched it. We all watched it. Kevin Durant was absolutely insane. Steph Curry got double teamed probably seven times the amount that KD did in a a given series. So as you guys can see, he's just talking about a coverage, but KD took it personally. He specifically on Twitter, uh, Draymond uh, saw KD complaining about it and Draymond tweeted at him, you have to learn to listen to full takes and not snippets before you get baited into tweeting champ and then kd quote tweeted that by saying oh i seen it my brethren i appreciate the compliments but i disagree with what you said about double teams that's all i love the show and then he tweeted at one point at a golden state warriors fan and said y'all let twitter trolls get y'all riled up and got y'all insecure 
like I said, I was the sole reason for anything. I always made it about the team. Y'all insecurities got y'all like this. So the latest beef between Kevin Durant and Warriors fans surrounding the Steph Curry thing, which once again was one of the main reasons why I think uh, KD left to begin with because of the le- the amount of credit that he was given for what had happened during those couple of seasons. Now, to be clear up front, I think KD and Draymond are both right. The point that Draymond's making is simple. If you are holding it against Steph that he doesn't have a finals MVP, then you are being dishonest because he damn sure deserved to win it in 2015 and he played like a finals MVP in 2017 and in 2018. He, he, the whole thing that Draymond was trying to say is Steph was every bit as good as Draymond, or excuse me, Steph was every bit as good as KD during that era, which is true. They were two of the top three players in the world playing at the peak of their powers. They both impacted the game at a very similar level, just in their own unique way. That's the only point Draymond was trying to make. It was about Steph and a lot of dishonest, mainly LeBron fans, because again, this is all this all stems from Stan culture. The theme of this segment is Stan culture and fans being obsessed with bolstering an individual player's legacy instead of paying attention to what's happening in a team sport is how we get into these debates to begin with. It's what drove Kevin Durant away from the Warriors, and it's the reason why he's dealing with this right now. And it started with LeBron fans discrediting Steph Curry for not having a finals MVP, which was total bullshit. And Draymond was just simply making that point. Now, where KD is right is I don't think it's fair for Draymond to say that that Steph faced seven times as many double teams as KD. Because neither player, when they were crossing half court, was just getting an outright double from somebody to get the ball out of their hands. However, they ran a lot of high pick and roll with Steph and Draymond. And every team for the last half decade has guarded the Steph Draymond high pick and roll by blitzing it. And the reason why is simple. Because Draymond's not as much of a scoring threat. And so your best bet to try to stop that action is to get the ball out of Steph's hands and make Draymond make a play. And yes, Steph is dragging a second defender with him, but it's a second defender that Draymond brought to him. So yes, by the book, Steph's functional, Steph's specific role in that offense to initiate things by running high pick and roll involved him dragging multiple defenders, but it was by design in the scheme. And it worked out great for Golden State. Why? Because Draymond's one of the best short roll players in the league. Because he's one of the best passing big men ever. And Clay Thompson's every bit as important. Guys, the Warriors were 16th in offense this year, despite Steph playing in 64 games. How did that happen? Because important pieces were missing. Again, this is a team sport, guys. I thought LeBron was a top 10 player in the NBA this year, and the Lakers missed the playoffs. The Lakers missed the playoffs in a league that currently allows 20 of the 30 teams to be in the playoffs. And LeBron, as a top 10 player, could not get them into that mix. That's how much a team, that's how much your teammates matter. And that's why staying culture is so stupid. The bottom line is KD needed the Warriors, but the Warriors also needed KD. Looking at KD first, he was playing in an archaic system with a ball hog point guard. 
that frequently took more shots than him on a team that lacked a lot of the offensive personnel needed to allow KD to play a a free-flowing form of basketball, which has always been what he wanted to play. And so he left them to go to a team that helped him play a style of basketball that he wanted to play. And as a result, he was surrounded with the necessary talent and he won championships. But Golden State also doesn't have three titles right now if KD doesn't go to them. The biggest weakness of the Steph Warriors dynasty was not having a big wing that could persistently pressure the rim or score against mismatches consistently and efficiently. When KD filled that hole, they became unbeatable. So KD absolutely was unbelievably important to Golden State in establishing the dynasty that they have, but so was Steph, and so was Draymond, and so was Klay Thompson, and so were all of the really smart role players over the years that functionally allowed the Golden State system to work because it depends on high IQs making plays off of the attention their stars gather. That's why a guy like Kelly Oubre wasn't a great fit. That's why a guy like Kent Bazemore wasn't a great fit. But again, it, it, there, it, there is no individual dynasty. I've seen LeBron, who's the second best player who's ever played the game and the best player of this era, lose often when he doesn't have the requisite pieces. There is no individual dynasty. Dynasties require greatness from a great many people. And I don't blame KD for being upset. He devoted the best years of his career, his absolute peak, he devoted them to that franchise. And all they did was tell everyone that Steph was better and kick him in the butt on his way out the door. So that's why he left, and that's why the, that's why he feels the way he does now. And again, is Golden State thriving without him? Yes, but there's a lot of reasons for that. They have a lot of talent. The draft picks they were able to get from down years from injuries. Andrew Wiggins, who is one of their most important players this season, was retrieved using the KD asset. If you don't have Andrew Wiggins, you're probably not a championship contender. If you don't have Andrew, and you don't have Andrew Wiggins without Kevin Durant. And I'm not trying to undercut anything that Golden State has done because this is all a product of all of them and everything that they bring to the table. All I'm saying is, why do you got to treat KD like that? Like, he won your championships. Why are you kicking him when he's gone? I, I just, I just don't get it. And guys, what do you think Steph thinks? The guy you're standing the guy that you were uplifting at KD's expense, he knows that he needed KD. Just like KD knows that he needed Steph. He would never treat KD that way. Because he knows better. Because he was on the court. And again, we've all done this. When I was younger, I used to engage in a lot of this nonsense with the LeBron stuff. But my point is, is the, the whole basketball world and the way we talk about the game will get better the sooner we get past this. The sooner we talk about how the Golden State Warriors were a perfect basketball team constructed with an all-world offensive engine in Steph Curry and the best tip of the spear in the league in Kevin Durant and the best defensive player in the league in Draymond Green and the second best shooter to ever lace them up in Klay Thompson and one of the best perimeter defenders to ever lace them up in Andre Iguodala and one of the best mid-range scorers to ever lace them up, and Sean Livingston, we can go on and on and on, and one of the best coaches. Steve Kerr is one of the best coaches in the league. 
the bottom line is this was it's a dynasty and dynasties are not based on individuals dynasties are based on a group effort and i say that as someone who thinks steph curry genuinely has a case to be a top five player in nba history if he wins this year just to me the individual legacies we don't need to have those discussions by trouncing all over other people that also have great individual legacies. We're just better than that. And I, I feel bad for KD and I feel bad for Steph because he ends up, a t a, uh, he ends up taking on a lot of this reputation, which is really coming from his fans. And I, and I, and I just hope eventually we can get past all that. We're going to bring my guy Carson on and we're going to play a game of over unders based on the NBA finals presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. All right, Carson, you're going to name an over-under that's currently listed on FanDuel, and I'm going to tell you guys whether or not I think you should go over or under. All right, Jason, we're going to start with the point total for game one, over-under 212.5. Which side are you on? I am on the under for this one. couple things. First of all, both teams right now are playing at a pace under 100 possessions per game in this postseason run. What that means is when you look at things like offensive rating and defensive rating, you can count on the scoreboard reflecting slightly less than whatever that number is. So to be clear, like I've mentioned before, Golden State's offensive rating in this postseason has been great against Denver and against the Grizzlies with jaw and against that Dallas Mavericks team, which lacked a lot of defensive personnel. However, this is the best defense they've played and against Memphis without jaw, which was the best defense they played before this series. They only averaged about 104 points per 100 possessions during this regular season with Steph on the floor versus Boston. Golden State only averaged 94 points per 100 possessions. And I think they're going to win game one. So I think this is going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be both teams really, really caught off guard by the intensity and the increased level of competition. I think it's going to be a low scoring affair. So I'd go under to 12.5. Okay, now we got Steph Curry over under 27 and a half points. Jason, which side are you taking? So I think Steph is going to have big scoring nights in this series. For instance, in game twos in this playoff run, he's averaging 31 points per game. However, typically, Steph in the first game of a playoff series is more interested in being the decoy and letting his teammates get involved. He has not scored over 24 points or taken more than 20 shots in any of the game ones in this postseason run. Plus, he's adjusting to the best defense that he's going to play to this point in the season. He's just It's going to be a game where I think he's more comfortable playing a supporting role offensively. Again, not an indicator of the way he's going to score over the series. However, judging on his approaches so far in game ones in this playoff run, it's smart to go under 27.5 points with Steph tonight, tomorrow night. All right. Draymond points, rebounds, and assists combined over under 21 and a half. This one's tough because Draymond's Im impact is always so different based on the matchup. I'm going to go under here. And the reason why is Boston is big, uh, not just underneath the basket, but on the perimeter. 
But I expect Draymond to be locked in box outs almost nonstop with the likes of Robert Williams and Grant Williams and Al Horford. And because of that, the rebounds themselves are going to end up falling to his teammates crashing from the perimeter. In addition to that, just in general, it's extremely difficult to score against this Boston team. So even though Draymond, I think, is going to be forced to be a scorer in some respects, I don't expect him to have a massive statistical impact in this series. I think his... He'll have the classic Draymond impact and his ability to make decisions in the short roll, him being the defensive quarterback, his ability to bang bodies with players that are a lot bigger than him. He's going to be classic Draymond. I just don't expect big box score numbers from him, so I'm going to go under 21 and a half here. All right, we'll see if the streak of betting unders continues here. Jason Tatum over under 28 and a half points. Jason, which side do you like there? Big shock. I'm going with the under here, Carson. I, I don't think people realize I don't think people realize just just nearly how much of a rock fight this series is gonna be. This is again, Golden State and Boston, two best defenses in the league this year. You know, now Boston, I think, is a better defense overall. But, I mean, these are two incredible defenses. Everyone thinks of them as as offensive firepower types of teams, and they are. But typically, teams that commit to defense the way that they do don't have the legs to just go light the world on fire on offense. And so I expect it to be a lot more of a rock fight. As far as Tatum goes, a couple things. First of all... Golden State is a lot better defensively than people think, and I thought Luka was a great indicator of just how much of a cold, like just as much of a shock it is to step into the arena and experience the different level of intensity and scheming and different looks and all the different things that you get from Golden State. And so because of that, I expect uh, Tatum to struggle. Also, just in general, the NBA Finals are a massive stage. And I think one of the most underplayed dynamics in this series is Golden State's experience. I have seen so many times over the years, young teams just struggle with the scale and the scope and the history and the pressure and the vibe that comes with the NBA Finals. And as good as Jason Tatum is, I do expect him to experience some of that, some of those jitters. So I expect an inefficient, sloppy game one from Jason Tatum. So I'm going under 28 and a half points. All right, last one here. Jordan Poole over under 18 and a half points and assists combined. Jason, what do you think? So this is this one I'm going over. 18 and a half is super low. Uh, first of all, against Boston this season in their only matchup that Jordan Poole played in, he had 32 points plus assists. And in game ones in this playoff run, so three uh, we have three games to take as a sample there, in game ones, he's been uh, particularly aggressive. He's averaging 32 points plus assists in game ones in this playoff run. A couple things too. The way that Boston's going to defend is going to demand dribble penetration from Steph and Jordan Poole. They specifically need him to be very aggressive because I put in my notes like, Will he get enough minutes? That's my biggest concern because if Boston is punishing him too relentlessly on the other end, Steve Kerr has shown the willingness, and Mike Brown as well when Steve Kerr was out, has shown the willingness to pull Jordan Poole when he's not playing well on the defensive end of the floor. So that's one of the uh, one of the the weird kind of like variables here. However, I think they're going to need him so much on offense to get the necessary dribble penetration to keep Boston in rotation that I think he is going to play a lot. And once again, he's been aggressive in game ones. He's shown the ability to score against this Boston defense in this regular season. I think 18 and a half is a very achievable number for him to hit in points plus assists. Out of the five bets that we threw out there today, 
Which of those over-unders is your favorite, Jason? Oh, that is a very good question. Man, I think I'm going to go with Tatum under 28 and a half. I just think, remember when we were debating in the in the Dallas series, like, are they going to make Luka beat him as a scorer or are they going to uh, send help and uh, put the onus on the shooters to make shots? Golden State very quickly from the beginning of that series was like, we're attacking Luka and we're going to make them make shots. Remember that Dallas got 28 wide open threes in game one. That, that just kind of shows you the general approach that Steve Kerr has here. Now, if I remember correctly, Luka still had a monster scoring game in that game, but he's a gunner. Luka's a gunner in a way that Tatum is not. And so I think Tatum has shown a willingness in recent games to be the guy who accepts the defensive attention and keeps things moving with the pass. So I think the safest bet for game one is Tatum under 28 and a half points. volume.